You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. My wife, Katie, and I are the lead pastors here at Banner Church. We're very excited to be here. Um, Man, just just an awesome morning. It's already been great. I knew it was going to be a good morning when, like, pre-service prayer was just, like, on fire. And uh, we had our our Spanish Alpha leaders. They were just, like, literally just praying the heat. It was awesome. Um, But really excited. We're jumping into a new series today. You know, we just finished a series on love, sex, and relationships. So, you know, I thought, should we take a breath or should we just keep going? And, uh, you know, all kidding aside, we decided to jump into a series on finances and money. And uh, this is something we've been praying about for a long time because uh, we actually think it's important as a church to talk about the things that are important in life and important to God. Amen? And so when you come here, I want you to be encouraged that you're going to hear something uh, from the platform that we really feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and that we feel like he wants to speak to the church. And so this is going to be a life-giving series as we head into the hot months. So it's going to be a good time. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, Yeah, we're talking about money. Money is a kind of a big source of uh, tension or excitement, maybe depending on how much of you you have. Uh, It can be a source of anxiety. It can be a a source of confusion, even pride. I mean, all kinds of things. Money does a lot of really interesting things, and it's not a mistake that we would come out of talking about relationships into a series on money, because honestly, one of the biggest tensions in relationships can be money. And in marriages can be money, and the things you can fight about can be money, uh, because it plays a huge role in our life, right? Like, we work for it. I mean, the majority of time that's spent in your life, other than sleeping, is probably spent working. And at that job, you work for not just, like, fun, even though it's nice to have a job that's fun, but you hope that your employer and you believe and trust that they're going to pay you for the work that you've done, right? Because you want money. (laughs) Because life costs money. And so money is important to us. We're concerned if we don't have it, we need it to pay for the things in our life. We want more of it. Uh, But there's a lot of things that surround money, a lot of emotions. There's joy, there's tension, excitement, fear, pride, selfishness, anxiety. And the big question is often like, what do we do with money? A lot of our tension comes out of choices we make with our money. But I think the better question is, How do we steward money so that it's blessed? And importantly, blessed by God. See, some of you, no one uh, likely ever taught you the principles that God has for finances. And so I'm always like so impressed by people who have never really heard principles of what God says about finances, but are really faithfully being generous and are seeking to steward their finances in a a godly manner. And so something that has always really struck me and a reason that we teach on money is because I meet generous people all the time that have never heard the blessing of God's principle about giving. And so we want to teach on giving because we want you to fully understand the principles that God has given you, right? And that, that's my job, right? My job as the pastor is to, is to teach biblical principles for you to enact in your life, to say, hey, this is what the Word of God says, and then everybody can choose whatever they want, right? I'm not up here to enact extra biblical standards or to talk about how you're living your life. My job is to say, hey, here is the blessed life that God promises when you walk in principle. Here are those principles, and kind of choose your own adventure after that. You could choose if you follow it or not, right? 
And so I want to talk a little bit about what does God say about finances? What does God say about money? What does God say about how we steward our finances? And I think it's important because when we come under the principles of God, we find peace, we find rest, we find blessing, we find provision. And I know we're going to talk about money in this series, but if we were really say, what is this series about? Even though money is the mechanism, the heart is what I'm speaking to today. So hear me. Uh, what we're going to talk about is money, but what I'm really speaking to is to the heart. And, and as we walk through this series, I want you to also hear me. At no point is it our aim or goal as a leadership to shame anyone about money. Whether you have a lot of money or no money, whether you uh, love the idea of talking about money or feel uncomfortable, it is at no point uh, our mission to shame you. The, the, the point of this series is to put us in alignment with Christ, to put our hearts in alignment with Christ, to put our heart in alignment with His heart, because when we do that, our lives are blessed. See, Jesus talked about money all the time. In fact, it was one of his most talked about things, and he was not wealthy, and the people who followed him were not wealthy. And honestly, the, the Christian path was never one to get rich, and yet Jesus talked to people with a lot of money and a lot of power. He talked to people with, with uh, no power position. He talked to people with no money. He talked to people with very little resources. He, he told some people to save up. He told some people to give all their money away. And so we want to look at the principles that he talked about because Jesus said, where your money is, there your heart will be. That's a pretty standard principle, right? Ladies, if you go on a date with a guy and you're four or five in and he's never paid for anything, he's not into you. You're like, well, you know, he's just in between jobs. It's like, okay, but like, I know people who have been in between jobs for like 12 years that can still scratch together some things for the dollar menu for somebody they love. Right, like we did street ministry and people still paid for someone that they cared about. They ain't paying for you, they're not that into you, right? Because where their money is, their heart is. Or they're just cheap, and you should just run anyways. Come on, you don't want to be dating a cheap guy. Ugh, gross. Um... <laughs> Because where our, our money, it, it reveals our heart, what we value. And Jesus talked about money all the time. Why? Because he knew we'd struggle with it so much. In fact, the very fact that you might be squirming in your seat thinking about this is the very reason Jesus talked so much about it. It was such a big hang-up, right? The young rich ruler said, I've done everything to follow you. He says, great, give up your money. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. No. Why? Because he knew we'd wrestle with it. But he also talked about it so much because he wants us to live a blessed life in alignment with him. And Jesus doesn't want anything stealing our heart away from his heart. He wants us to walk in the freedom and the power of a new life with him. And so the goal of this series is to share about the blessing of your life and stewarding money God's way. Money God's way will bring a blessing to your life. So I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to teach the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is no condemnation in Christ. If you're sitting there feeling condemned, that, that might be, as we share, that might be the enemy trying to whisper to you. Just reject that. There's no condemnation in Christ. If at any point you feel like something I have said has condemned you, I want to let you know I am open to hearing your heart and what God is doing in that stirring or maybe that tension or maybe past hurts that are waking up, that it's triggering those, and I understand those exist. But I want you to know the goal of this series is not, it might be to challenge you, but it's never to condemn you. It's to bring life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, then, then we'll jump into Malachi. <laughs> 
Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for your word that's given to us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here and you're ministering and you're moving in this place. May our hearts be open to you. We want to know what the Bible, not our biases, say about money. And so we give it to you in your name. Amen. Well, when I, uh, when I was going to college, I went to like a community college for a while, and then I, I transferred in. This was when I was doing my undergrad, my grad school. I was married and kids. And, uh, but when I was doing my undergrad, I, I went to the University of Washington, and the University of Washington was about 45 minutes from my house. And my very last year, because I, I worked and went to school at the same time, it took me longer than like the standard four years to go to school. My last year, I also got married. And so my last two semesters, I was married. I lived 45 minutes away from my school, and I was working in ministry full time. And then because that job paid me like, you know, less than 20 grand a year, I went and I was working in remodels. And so I would like build up a little business of bathroom remodels and kitchen remodels. And that's what I would do. I would just, like, make my own business because, you know, I needed money. Uh, that's always been my life is just to work. I, I enjoy it. And so that's what I did. See, the problem was, though, something always has to give because there's only so much time. And so as a young married man, when I would wake up in the morning and I would think, okay, I got to go to my classes. I have to drive 45 minutes. I got to go to my classes. I, then after that, I got to go to my accounts and make sure that I get all the remodels done. And then after that, I got to go to my job and I have to work my job till, you know, 9.30, 10 at night. And then I'm going to come home and see my wife, assuming she's not working, right? And we, we got to go through this cycle. Something had to give. And so what gave for me was the driving 45 minutes to go to class because I was young and married, and I'd worked so hard and waited so long to wake up to a beautiful woman in my bed. I'm like, I'm not going to leave this, right, <laughs> to go down into Seattle and have someone yell at me that I don't understand Emmanuel Kant or something. Um, so I would give that up. And so I had this class that I just had to take because I had to graduate, and it had 250 people in the class. And honestly, I thought, well, no one's going to miss me because there's 250 people. They don't even want me here anyways. That's why there's 250 people in this class. And so it was in this giant kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like a amphitheater kind of style classroom that you'd go into. And I would only go occasionally because what I discovered is if you go to the office hours of the professor and you say, listen, I need this grade to graduate, they'll tell you what you have to do to get that grade. And then you do that and then you graduate because the state college and there's 250 people in the class. And the guy you're meeting with isn't even the professor. He's just some TA who also just wants to graduate, and they got to figure it out. So go to smaller schools. It's better for you. I don't know. Lopes up. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, so one day I show up to the class because I'm feeling magnanimous, and I sit down next to somebody, and they look stressed. Now, this is Seattle at a liberal college, so a lot of the kids look stressed all the time. Um, just super, yeah. <laughs> it's just how they live. And so I sat down next to this kid, and uh, he looked so stressed. I'm like, hey, man, you okay? And he said, oh, my gosh, I'm just so worried about this test. And I said, okay, oh, yeah, okay. And I, like, snap back into it like a rubber band, like, what test? And he says, and he looks at me like I just appeared out of a mist, right? And he says, the midterm. <sighs> and I say, oh, like the one for this class. And he says, yes, the midterm for this class 
is, is currently happening. Like, right, we are taking it, like, right now. And I was like, oh, I am not prepared for this at all, right? I had no idea the test was now because I was doing all these other things. I remember something had to give. And so I had this moment where I realized I was about to take a test I did not know was happening. I don't know if you had this experience. And, uh, oh, man, aced it. I totally did great in this version of the story I'm telling. And, uh, you know, <laughs> really made it count when I got to my master's, though. Uh, but I didn't know I was taking the test. It was a surprise. And so me, I'm just like, what test? I want to tell you today, the title of the sermon today is, what test? Every time you get paid, I don't know if you knew this, you are taking a test. See, some of you didn't know you were taking a test. Every time you get paid, you take a test. And it's not like the midterm that I took at school. It's a different kind of test. The test that we take every time we get paid is this. Who will I thank for getting paid? That's the test. Who will I honor and thank for getting paid? Because every time I get paid, I thank someone first. Who will I honor first? Uh, some of us, when, when you get paid, you think Amazon first. Some of you, when you get paid, uh, you think SRP first. You're like, SRP has been waiting a while for that thank you. You think SRP first. Some of you, when you get paid first, you think Visa or MasterCard, right? You think the credit card company. But the reality is that Visa, MasterCard, your credit card, cannot bless your finances. Only God can bless your finances. You say, well, you don't know how much I owe Visa. <laughs> it's like, well, that just shows me how much you need God to bless your finances then. Because the reality is that Visa can't bless your finances. Only God can bless your finances. And so God gave us a principle for blessing our finances, but there is a test. Turn with me, if you would, to Malachi chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. The words will be on the screen. If you're joining us online, we celebrate you. And I just want to say the words will be up there. Our awesome tech team has got those prepared. But I want to talk about an Old Testament principle in Malachi 3 that is actually a New Testament principle that is actually a now principle for our lives. Malachi 3. You ready for this? Everyone ready? Okay, ready. Let's do it. I got this great coffee from Nick, this like blueberry banana water tonic thing, whatever this is. Every time I go in there, he tells me like 15 different ingredients, but it looks really cool, so I drink it, and it's delicious. Um, Malachi 3, here you go, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Okay, stop there. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. The Hebrew there is do not change. If you go back to the direct translation, it is literally, take a guess, do not change. It's not in Greek, but if it was, it would just be do not change, but in a Greek accent. Okay? It's I, the Lord, do not change. Remember, remember that. Uh, and he says, therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Meaning, listen, he's speaking to a group of people that have wandered away constantly from his commands. And he's saying, listen, my mercy doesn't change. My grace doesn't change. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because I'm merciful, you have not been consumed. See, that is actually the story of the Old Testament, if you didn't know this. The story of the Old Testament is God makes a covenant with his people. His people constantly disobey that covenant. And God constantly says, I love you. I restore my covenant with you. I'm still going to fulfill what I promised. See, the God of the Old Testament is not angry. He's merciful, and he's infinitely merciful. And so he says, I don't change. Therefore, 
You're not consumed. I made a promise. Even though y'all are acting crazy, not consuming you. So let's keep going. Verse 7. It says, from the days of your fathers, here's, how, here's, what, here's why um, they should be thankful. It says, from the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes. In other words, there would be regulations or principles. And have not kept them. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? How will we return, God? How, they're saying, how will we return to these principles, these statutes? What have we walked away from? Here's what it says, verse 8. Will, okay, real quick, before I read verse 8. Raise of hands if you think I wrote this. Okay, good. See, we're on the same page. Who, who spoke this? Who's speaking? God, who does not change. Is Pastor Josh speaking this or writing this? No, okay, good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. I'm going to read you all the Bible. I didn't write this, though. <laughs> so, bring it up with the Lord. Verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Remember, this is God talking. The God who does not change. Pastor Josh did not write this. Pastor Katie did not write this. This is his word to us. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. What was the house? It was the temple, or in modern times, the church. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. Somebody say devourer. There's a lot of hours in that. I love that word. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine of the field shall not bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, this is God talking, the God who does not change according to him, according to his word. And he says, listen, you've turned aside from my statutes, from my principles for living. Importantly, what is he talking about? Tithing is a statute of God. It was a way for the children of God to thank God for their harvest. That was their income. That was their resource. In an agrarian society of bartering, and you made wheat, guess what your money was? Wheat. Exactly. It was wheat. So this is, they had not brought it in, and because they had stepped out from under the covering of the statute, they were under a curse. Now, when I say curse, that's like a big word. And immediately, if you're like me, my brain does not go to the context this means here. It goes to like a witch from like Sleeping Beauty with like the apple or Snow White. Which one is that? Snow White? Okay, sorry. I'm a dude and in my 30s. I don't, you know. Um, goes to one of those, and I think of that. And I picture her with like the nose and like she's like green. I'm assuming she's green. Let's say she's green. I'm thinking Wizard of Oz now. I'm off my movies. <laughs> But that's what I picture, like a hex and flying around, you know, trying to catch a, um, what is that thing that Harry Potter catches? A snitch, exactly. See, <laughs> we're, we're doing it, guys. We're making it. Uh, that's kind of what I picture is like a curse where like none of the kids know Latin for some reason, but all the curses are in Latin. You know, you know what I'm talking about, those movies. That's kind of what I picture. But that's not what, uh, that's not what it's talking about. What's talking about here is consequences. You say, I thought Jesus bore the curse of the law on the cross. Yes, that's about salvation. This is about consequences. A curse, contextually here, is a consequence. Well, that doesn't really soften the blow for, for us, really, though. Like, we don't like consequences any more than we like the word curse. At least curse is abstract and has to do with, like, the wicked witch of the West. 
consequences hit close to home. We don't want consequences. So we live in a generation confused about consequences. Here's the reality. You can make your choice, but you can't make your consequences. The consequences of your choice are intimately married to the choice. So you can choose the choice, but you can't choose the consequences of your choice. It's amazing to me how many people think they can live however they want, and it won't affect them. It's mind-blowing. Like, there's no consequences for our actions. But there are consequences for the things we do. Like, let's say if someone broke in, and they, we got some cool instruments up here, some really sweet-looking guitars. If someone broke in and stole all this, and we found them, our worship team got a hold of them, uh, would there be consequences? Yeah, yeah, the worship team is like, heck yes, there would, right? I'm like, we're going to throw hands, and then we're going to lay hands, right? <laughs> but there would be consequences almost immediately. Uh, <laughs> there would be consequences. If we steal, there's consequences, right? Someone breaks in your house, steal. If you steal, there's consequences. Okay, what happens if we steal from God? Are there consequences? Let me explain. God owns all of it. But he gives us stewardship of it. And he says, set apart a portion of 10% for him. This is how God said in verse 8, and this is how we could say that they were robbing him. The principle was, bring the tithe into the church, but they kept it. And so he said, you have kept what is set apart for me, and so therefore the consequence of stealing is that you are stealing. He says, because you've kept it, you're under a curse. Remember, this is God's word. This is not my word. I did not write it. God who doesn't change. He says, because you've stolen it from me and rejected my principles, you're under a curse. But importantly, he's not like cursing at you or like putting a hex on you. Let me explain it. Let's say when, when we come under the covering of the principle of God, we're like under his shield and under his rampart, under his protection, under his principles for our life. And under there, there's blessings. Why? Because the arrows of the enemy enemy are sharp and pointy and on fire, right? And so when we are under his principles, we are, we are under him. We're like under his wings, like I talked about last week. But when we step outside of his principles, when we step out from underneath his covering, what protects us from the attacks of the enemy? Nothing. And so often we have stepped outside of God's principles, but we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, Literally right here in my principles. To step under my principles. He's like, I'm not cursing you. I'm not cursing at you. I don't hate you. I am not angry. You have chosen to step out. Some of us, maybe we just didn't even know. And so again, not condemnation, but saying under the covering is the blessing. Under the covering of the shield of the wings of God, that is the protection. But what happens if we say, no, you know what? I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. We step out of the covering. We step out of the blessing. But listen, when we steward money God's way, it's a blessing. When we keep it for ourselves, we forfeit that blessing. We come out from under that, and we place ourselves under a curse. People love to argue about tithing. Honestly, it's so funny to me. People love to argue about tithing. They say, well, 
Uh, tithing is an Old Testament principle. I get that one. Not a lot here because I'm so thankful for this church. We're not a heavy religious people. Uh, if you look around this church, most, everybody, most everybody's new. You're like, I'm new here. Good, everybody's new here. Uh, and we're not hyper-religious. Thank you for that. Thank you for making COVID in this past year something that was beautiful to walk through and life-giving as we stepped out into our community that I don't have to fight you and argue about pointless random garbage like what color we paint the stage. Thank you. I just want to honor you for being people that value the right things like families that need to be fed and people that need to hear Jesus and like you could you just like yeah the plants look good good job Hannah right like, you're not you're like we're bringing in the palms it's too late there's a spirit of palm upon right you're like that happens it does and it's terrible <laughs> anyways I say this to say I know you are not hyper spiritual but people say well tithing is an Old Testament principle okay let me just explain that maybe you have thought that innocently you thought that seems like an old testament thing let me explain scripture is not an accident nor is it isolated scripture is complete and total at no point should any doctrine in the new testament violate the old testament though we understand it through the lens of jesus christ right everything in the new testament we look back at the old testament through the lens of jesus christ but often, man, when someone says tithing is an Old Testament principle, it usually has nothing to do with their grasp of the Old Testament, with their grasp of Jewish law, with their grasp of even biblical canon, and usually it has everything to do with their heart. Because tithing, write this down. If you're writing notes, you can write this down. Tithing is a test of your heart. I've been in ministry now full-time for 13 years, and when someone argues about Old Testament principles of tithing, usually something else is behind it, and it's rarely a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. It's usually an issue of the heart. Because if it wasn't a heart issue, why would we argue about giving 10%? When we look at the New Testament, what do the believers give? Literally everything. <laughs> That's a New Testament principle. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. Okay, you, you want to go just New Testament? Let's go New Testament. Sell everything, give it to the poor, right? There's a great skit that I wanted to share so bad, but there was one kind of bleeped out word because it's from the world, and it's all these believers praying, and God shows up and says, sell all you have to the poor, and they're like, ah, it's a ghost, and they run out of the room, right? Because they don't want to sell all they have to the poor. Right? Usually it has to do with our heart. Why would we argue about giving 10% when God gave 100% of his son to die 100% on the cross, to take 100% of our sins, 100% to the grave, to rise again completely 100%, to invite us into 100% of new life and 100% of eternity? It's a test of the heart. You might have wondered, why 10%? Well, tithe in Hebrew, it's ma'aser. It means 10. And importantly, 10% is fair for every person. There's no adjustable tax rate in the kingdom of heaven. Right? So, cool, you get tax benefits, you know, once you become a deacon. <laughs> Just it cycles back in. You get a tax credit. Right? Everyone, you make $2 a year or $2 million a year, 10% is 10%. Because, again, it's not about the dollar. It's about the heart. Also, often the number 10 is linked to tests. How many plagues were there? How many commandments? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? See? Yeah, 10? Maybe? No, numbers 14. You can go look it up later. <laughs> okay. We, you can sense a trend, right? How many times were Jacob's wage changed? 10. Hey. Days Daniel was tested? 10. Virgins tested in Matthew 25? 10. Days of testing in Revelation? 10. Again, testing, not tempting. God does not tempt us. But it has to do with testing. 
See, tithing is a two-way test. This is what's amazing about tithing. Tithing is the only place in the Bible where God says, you can test me. You can test me. In, in Malachi 3.10, what I read, he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. The word test there comes from purifying metals. I really like the show Forged in Fire uh, because I am an old man at heart, I guess. Come on, where am I old man at heart? And then also everybody else, right? Forged in Fire is a dope show. Uh, and basically what it is, is these like Midwesterners and light wash denim and like leather uh, aprons forging like the weirdest sword so this one dude can like chop into some bamboo and like a dummy. And it's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm Okay, there's like eight people here who watch the show. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Good. Okay, come on, History Channel, let's freaking go. COVID was all year. You know you watched Forge and Fire if you're above the age of 20 and you're a man. You have seen this, I guarantee you. Uh, anyways, doesn't matter. We'll keep moving on. But in the show, the prime moment is when they make the sword. They spend like hours days making this. Some of them like burn their shop to the ground trying to make this thing because they have a forge this big. They're like, we need you to create a spear that can go through a rock. And they're like, we can do it. Right? And so they make this thing and then they give it to the guy and he's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it. I'm going to bash it against this barrel 25 times. They're like, oh, okay, cool. And they start whacking on it and it, until it does what? Makes it or breaks it, right? That's a test. That's what he's talking about. That's how you test metal, right? You put it against pressure. You beat it against the things in life that are difficult. That's what God is saying. Listen, you can apply pressure here. You can let the things of life smash against me, and I will not break. Test me and see how I will provide. See how I will rebuke the devourer. See how I will bless you. But it is up to you to test. It's a test of faith. And the test is this. Do I want 90% blessed by God or 100% cursed? You say, well, I don't like either of those options. Too bad. Write your own book. Be God. Oh, you can't. Well, there we go. <laughs> that is the test. It's a step of faith. Would I rather have 90% blessed or 100% cursed? Can I tell you, as a father, I do not want to lead my family with 100% cursed. I would rather lead my family, no matter how much or how little we have, with 90% blessed than 100% cursed. This is spoken to somebody who has felt like they have had both little and had opportunity and, and everything in between. When I had nothing, I still made this choice. Don't Please hear me today. That I would rather rather have God bless 90% and have his hand in his blessing and be under the covering of his principle than be out here with 100%. God promises to bless us. And yet what's so mind-blowing to me is people still say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's under the law. And I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, get this. Tithing was before the law. Tithing was in the law, and tithing was after the law. See, there's this flawed thinking we have where it's like, well, that was under the law, but now I'm under grace, so it doesn't apply, right? The law was for the Jewish people. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and Ephesians 3 tells me, I'm under grace, so I don't need to worry about the law because I'm under grace. Okay. So for under grace, does that mean that Old Testament principles and laws and the character of God do not apply? Well, I think if we look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, I think we would say not only do they 
they apply, but as the Spirit fulfills the law, as the Spirit works through us, that the call of grace goes beyond the law. For example, the Old Testament says, thou shalt not murder. That's primo law, by the way. It's one of the big ten. <laughs> thou shalt not murder. Uh, so how many of you guys would feel comfortable murdering because it's, because you're under grace? Oh, none of you. Wow, okay. Right? Not only that, but Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, don't even be angry towards your brother because grace goes above and beyond. See, we say grace sometimes to bring us down here, and yet God has called us to something more, to something greater through the Spirit. Okay, how about this? Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, so it's okay to cheat, just kind of like once saved, always saved. It's okay to cheat. It's okay to do whatever you want, to, to, to cheat on your spouse, because then you come back and you're like, babe, no, listen, I'm under grace. That's okay, right? Like, God forgives me, you should forgive me. I'm under grace. No! Right? That's an Old Testament principle. Still super true. Do not commit adultery. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, don't even look lustfully. Grace goes above the law. How about this Old Testament principle, thou shall not steal. Okay, Tristan, do you have your wallet on you? All right. Let me go ahead and take that from you. All right, this is mine now, because <laughs> I'm under grace, so suck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm under grace, guys. Guys, listen. The law is gone. Jesus has paid it. I'm under grace. So this is mine. In fact, all of you, go and just give me those wallets. In fact, yes, it's later. We're just going to steal. Just go around. We'll go rob ATL wings, right? Because we're under grace. It doesn't matter, right? No. Why? <laughs> because Old Testament, God's principles are still God's principles. The principles of God still under apply. It's still a test to your heart. And listen, I'm not talking about things for, for worship or, or that have to do with the sacrifice on the altar because Jesus is the sacrifice on the altar. I'm talking about the principles of God. We might like tithing. You might not like tithing. But the reality is tithing is biblical. It's scriptural. It's a call of God. It's a command of God. And listen, today, uh, just hear me. You're not a bad person if you don't tithe. But it is super in the Bible. Like a lot. And it's a principle. Like you've got to work really hard to get around it. But what's amazing, it's not only in the law. It's before the law and it's after the law. Let's look at before the law. I want to kind of give us some before the law. So let's go 500 years before the law. That's many years. 500 years. Genesis 14. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, so just stay with me on the screen and we'll, we'll jump here. And uh, I'm going to read to you about Melchizedek, and I'll, I'm going to explain. I'm going to tie that in later, who that is, why this applies. It's a really odd name, but listen, if you're having a kid, I want to recommend Melchizedek as a name. It's a beautiful name, scriptural, it's biblical. Um, it might change their life. So here we go. Genesis 14, verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, what is happening here? Okay, Melchizedek is king of Salem. Salem means peace. He's king of peace. 
And this Melchizedek is the uh, priest of the God Most High, specifically like the intermediary of the God Most High. He's the one bringing the offering to the Lord. And so as we understand Melchizedek, he's either a type of Christ or he's literally Jesus Christ here. So he's some heavenly being here, very, very likely, as Hebrews is going to explain later, literally Jesus Christ. 500 years before the law, and he's talking to Abram. Now, Abram is who God is going to rename Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Israel. Remember, Father Abraham had many sons. You know what I'm talking about, right? Somebody didn't grow up in church. You're like, what was that? Don't worry, I'll explain. Katie will sing it for you later. Uh, she will explain it. She'll, she'll crush it. So Abraham was the father of Israel. So our spiritual forefather, 500 years before, 500 years before the law, tithes 10% to Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Let's go 400 years before the law. Genesis 28. It says, Then Jacob, descendant of Abraham, said, If God will be with me and, I, and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house or resting place. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So 400 years before the law, Jacob says, I will bring a tenth to God's house. The dwelling place of the Lord is what he's talking about here. Okay, let's keep going. I'm going to keep moving before the law. He says, okay. Deuteronomy 26. Now God is telling the people of Israel as they come in and take the land. So now we're moving towards the law. He says, when you come into the land the Lord God is giving you for an inheritance, take possession of it and live in it. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvested from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that your Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. He's talking about the promised land. When you go into the promised land, you're going to take the first fruits. And he says, skip down to verse 13. He says, then you shall say before the Lord your God, here's what you get to say. I have removed the sacred portion, the set apart portion out of my house. And moreover, I've given it to the Levite. Now the Levites were the priests that kept the temple. The temple is the house of God. So I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments that you've commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning. So when things got difficult, I didn't consume what was set apart for you, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead, meaning I didn't give it to things that it wasn't supposed to go to. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you've commanded. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel on the ground you've given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. God's telling his people, remove a portion, the set apart, the 10%, remove the portion, bring it into God's house. And when you do that, you can pray, God, bless your servant, bless us. See, that's great, but that's still the Old Testament. Fair. That is fair. <laughs> but what if Jesus said you ought to tithe? Okay, listen, believers, people, you say you believe in Jesus. What if Jesus Christ, like Jesus the Christ, what if Jesus Christ said 
to us in the New Testament that we ought to tithe. Like Jesus, Jesus. Not like in a commentary, like Jesus Christ said to us, said to you, you and I, in his word, that you ought to tithe, would you tithe? That's going to show the state of the church. That some of us that have accepted his resurrection still have to think about it. What if Jesus, okay, in the New Testament, in red. Anyone have a red letter Bible? Red letter Bible is when they put everything that Jesus said in red. So I'm talking like, what if Jesus in red? Not like Peter saying about Jesus. Peter's like, and Jesus told us to tithe, right? I'm talking like in red, he said it, said you ought to tithe. Okay, let's look at it. Matthew 23, 23. This is, this is strong, but this is Jesus. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It's aggressive. It says, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, so this is where people get into argument. And they say, well, Jesus is talking about justice and mercy. I'm like, okay, which one is it then? Is justice and mercy the these you ought to have done? Or is justice and mercy the without neglecting others? Because if you say justice and mercy are the these you ought to have done, then tithing is the thing that you should have not neglected the others. You say, no, it's the other way around. He's talking about justice and mercy. So, okay, well, then he's saying then tithes are the things you ought to have done without neglecting the others, which are justice and mercy. This is literally what he's saying. He's saying, duh, you should tithe, but don't neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is saying, listen, either way you want to flip this and try to interpret, Jesus is saying right here, Jesus, who died for you and I on the cross, who we claim to follow, and he says, they'll know, they'll know, they'll know if you're actually following me, if you follow my commands. Jesus Christ says, care for the weighty matters of justice and mercy while not neglecting tithes. New Testament red letter Jesus. Let's keep going. New Testament. Okay, I'm going to tie it in. We're going to go, we're going to take thousands of years of history right here. Hebrews 7. I'm going to read to you verse 1 through 7, uh, and then we'll, go, we'll pop verse 8 here in a second. But just listen. And this is going to be a little complicated, but roll with me. I'll explain. It says, for this Melchizedek, there's the name again, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to Abraham, a, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, that meaning Melchizedek, is first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who, who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. So, but this man, who does not have his descendant from them, amen, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And verse 7 says, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And here's verse 8. 
In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Who is the one who has no beginning or end? Who is the one that is the Son of God? Who is the one that is testified that he lives? Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. Melchizedek, the high priest, is Jesus Christ. They're saying, this is Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment. We don't need a high priest to go into the temple and make sacrifices for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus was our sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest. But importantly, what he's saying is, you tithe to mortal men. Mortal men collect it. They steward it and manage it, right? We, had a, we have a board of stewardship here at this church. If you tithe to this church, we have a board of stewardship here at the church that manages all of that uh, for us. But what he's saying even more important is who receives it is he who lives, that is Jesus Christ. When you tithe, Jesus receives it and blesses it. Jesus blesses it, and Jesus blesses you. Third thing today, if you're taking notes, write this down. Tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. If you see it not as a blessing and as a burden, then I just want to encourage you, allow God to move and stir your heart because tithing is a blessing. I love 2 Chronicles 31. Uh, Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Um, if you're not familiar, Israel and Judah were one kingdom, right? It splits. There's a, there's a whole lot. You can go back and, you can back and read it in uh, Chronicles and Kings and all that. But Hezekiah is the king of Judah in, in, in this kingdom, and he's reading the scripture by himself, and he reads this portion in the law about tithing. And at that time that he's reading this, the whole nation of Israel is operating in a complete and total recession. They are uh, totally and completely broke. Like, broke, 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 broke total recession. They're attacked all the time. Every time they turn around, like locusts are eating the fields. They have no economy. They have no money. And so he's reading this, and he's going, you know what? I see this principle, and I see us over here. We need to come under this principle. We need that shield. We need this principle, this statue in our life. And so here's what he does. He says, our hearts are not in alignment with the principle of God, and as a good leader, trust me, it was just as popular then to talk about money as it is now. Uh, as a good leader, he says, we got to bring our hearts in alignment. This is what he said. Second Chronicles 31. It says, and he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give a portion due to the priests and Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So what was happening is the people were commanded to bring a tenth in for the priests that would maintain the temple. And the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was the temple of the Most High God. But they weren't. They had neglected the temple. They had neglected the priests. They had sent the church into poverty because they were focused completely and totally for themselves. And so he says, no, we got to bring it in. And so for them, they're specifically focused on food. Why? Well, they were an agricultural society. When you grow wheat, you give wheat. That's how it works. When you grow grapes, you give grapes. They were giving a tenth or cattle. You give cattle. And so uh, they were working in natural food. Now, when we think of the terms of the house of God today, right, the church, uh, 
Now, we are the dwelling place of the Lord as, as people, as believers, full of the Holy Spirit. But the church is also the place of God, is the house of God. Now, we have some cans, and we're building a family resource center. But really, the church of God is concerned, uh, like in this setting, with spiritual food, right? When you come in, you believe that I'm going to work hard, hard all week to put together a good spiritual meal to feed you. And trust me, as we just finished Song of Solomon, I do that for you, <laughs> right? I'm hoping, I, I would think, right, how many of you in you come in and you come to church, you receive a good spiritual meal on a Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. We're thankful for our worship team and our teams. We're thankful for the Word of God. Okay. Amen. Someone's paying for that. Someone's paying for it. Someone's paying to keep these lights on. Someone's paying for this air that's going. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise Him. Someone is paying for the water. Someone is paying for the 27 missionaries we support around the world. Someone is paying for the counseling, the, the, the people who can come and care. Someone's, care. someone's paying so we develop curriculum and speak into the next generation of young people. Someone's paying so that we can go out into the community and do love the block and care for those in need. Someone's paying to make sure that during COVID, the people who cannot pay their bills are paid for. Someone's paying for it. Someone's paying for it. Let me ask a question. Would anyone go into a restaurant, eat a meal, and leave without paying the check? But the church does that every week. Some Christians do that every week, skip the check. And the sad news, it's, it's not hurting me, it's hurting you. Right, I know the response to that. Preachers are all about the money. And listen, I understand, because can I be honest? There are some preachers who are all about the money. And some of you have been hurt by preachers who are all about the money. It'd be unfair for me to stand up here and say, preachers aren't all about the money. Because you could probably think of like three off the top of your head that like are buying jets and going wild and doing all kinds of stuff. Some are. But the preachers I know, the men of God I know, let me tell you, they are not about the money. In fact, most preachers, most pastors, most leaders, and the leaders that I know, they're taking pay cuts. They're working for very little money. They're, they're trying to provide off very little for their families, especially during COVID, making sure their teams and the people that are responsible to them get paid, get taken care of so that they can eat. So if they're here working 40 hours a week, they're at their churches working 60 hours a week, they can get paid. The guys I know are not getting rich off this. So if you know some that are, you just know the wrong people. But this is not what it's about. I'm not sharing this because I want to get wealthy or I want the church people say like, well, if we give more, then you get, you get paid more, right? No, I don't get like a percentage off the top of offering, right? <laughs> we, that's not how it works at all. Our, our board is like cracking up like, oh my gosh, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> but the reality is, 5% of the church actually tithes. It's actually less than that. But you know there are 247 million U.S. citizens that identify as Christians and only 1.5 million tithe? That means that 245.5 million Christians are living outside of the principle. Maybe the, the person in the Oval Office isn't the problem. Maybe it's the people outside of principle that are the problem. Maybe we need to spend less time on Facebook and more time in principle. But listen, 
Most pastors I know, they, 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 I, let me speak for myself. Can I do that? I'm going to speak for myself. My, my longing here is to serve and to grow and to create leaders and to impact community, to bring counsel. But I just want to say the church doesn't need your money. And if you're bringing your money like the pastor just wants to get rich, keep it. I don't want your money. I don't want it to come into our bank account. I don't want your, the, the seed of bitterness to spoil the harvest that God is doing here. You keep it, and you deal with the Lord. Because what I long for is a church that's walking in alignment for Christ. I don't need your money. The church does not need your money. But you need this principle if you profess to believe in Christ. It is non-negotiable. I'm preaching this because I want your life to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I could have preached on so many things that would have brought me so many great comments in the lobby after the service and so many high fives and so much encouragement. I just got done preaching about Song of Solomon. Do you think I want to be deep diving about money? No, not selfishly. I want to talk about like worship or fun stuff. But I understand the blessing of this principle. And I want you, when your heart is aligned, when our hearts are aligned, it will change your life. It will change your finances. It will change your marriage. It will change your children when you walk in alignment with God. But beyond that, it will change your community. It will change your city. It will change your world. Listen, someone asked me the other day when we were praying and believing for stuff, they're like, I, that's great, your prayers are great, but if your prayers are answered, will it change your world or will it change the world? And hear me today, your faithfulness of walking in principle, it's not to change my world. It's not to change your world. It's to change the world. It's to grow the kingdom. This is a kingdom principle for your life. I want you to be blessed. And Hezekiah is a leader. He realizes, he says, I got to get my people out from this curse, and I got to get them under blessing. I got to get them under principle. So he tells them, bring the tithe into the house of God. I'll make a note here. They were tithing when they were broke. They were not wealthy. They were not wealthy. People say, this is, a, this is a principle for the wealthy. No, not biblically. It's a principle for everyone. They didn't wait till they got stable. They didn't wait till they figured it out. They didn't wait till they got, they got that next check. Get that, you know, I get that next promotion. They tithed when they were broke, like so broke, like so, 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 so broke. Like unless anyone's breaking into your house and stealing all of your money, you're not more broke than this. That's how broke they were. People would come, and they would kick their door, and they would steal everything they have. But here's what happens. Here's how the cycle breaks. Look at this. 2 Chronicles 31.5 said, As soon as the command was spread abroad, look at the obedience here. As soon as the command was spread, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, all the produce of the field. They brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. It says, And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah, also brought in tithe of cattle and sheep and tithe of dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they laid them in heaps. I love that word, heaps. Heaps of sheeps all up in the temple. Just picture them, just piled up, like, meh, just like heaps. Heaps of sheeps. It'd be adorable. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. The this is amazing. The king commands, and immediately they begin to give. And it says they're piling it in heaps. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah rightly so, questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps of sheep. And it says, Azariah, the chief priest, who was of the house of Zadok, answered him. And here's what he said. This is amazing. He said, since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord— 
We have eaten and had enough and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. I love this. The king, like, comes and he sees these heaps of sheep and he says, Listen, um, I know everyone's broke, so how is this possible? Right? Like, everyone is, like, so broke. Are they okay? Like, he's, like, checking in on them, right? Because if you knew everyone was broke and then you came in here and there was just, like, sheep everywhere, you'd be like, I mean, there'd be questions. But let's say sheep was the currency of the day. Uh, you'd be like, what on earth, Right? Is everyone, are they, I mean, are they eating? Are they taking care of themselves? And I love the answer is it says, as soon as they started giving, God started blessing. As soon as they started giving, God started blessing. Not before. As soon as they started, God was faithful, and he started blessing. And so they have just been piling because what happened is, as God began to bless, they got fired up, and they just kept giving. It evoked generosity. It inspired them. And so they brought in heaps upon heaps upon heaps. Because when they started walking in principle, the covering, the blessing of God was in play. See, there's two testimonies about tithing. Ben, you can come up this morning. There's two testimonies about tithing. There's one says, since we have begun tithing, we have been blessed. Not with infinite wealth. I'm not talking like, I'm a millionaire now. Like, I'm going to fight Elon Musk to see who has more money. But since we have been tithing, we have been blessed. And the second one is, I can't afford to tithe. Those are the two testimonies. I have never heard anything else other than those two. Since we have been tithing, we have been blessed. I can't afford to tithe. Here, here's the thing. And hear me with, like, grace in my tone as somebody who has also stared at bills and thought, hmm, hmm, hmm. And they stared at a paycheck and thought, hmm. <laughs> hear, hear me. Hear the grace. I'm being gracious today. Is that you will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Tithing 10% is what breaks the curse and rebukes the devourer. See, we're on this broken cycle. We say, hey, man, when I get enough, then I'm going to tithe 10%. When I get that raise, I'm going to tithe 10%. You know, when I really get myself together, get that nice cushion, I'm going to, then I'm, man, man, pastor, then I'm going to start blessing the church. As if I'm like, oh, okay, then you can lead a small group. Yes, thank you. <laughs> like, it has anything to do with me. Like, oh, great. You know, once, once we get that nice little, that nice little, you know, collection, once, I get, once we get in the house, once we get that settled, we start making that income, you know, then, then, we'll, then, we'll, then we'll come under principle with God. It's amazing how much of our life we delay coming under principle. As if, like, God didn't create the earth and create the principle and know exactly how it all functions. But what happens is, as soon as you start to kind of get ahead, something breaks. Something breaks. And all of a sudden, you're like, ah, I don't know if I can pay this bill, do this thing. Or I got that water heater goes out, the transmission's having problems, right? Something breaks. That's what happens. It's a, it's a cycle. And I talk to people all the time. I'm like, man, I really want to tithe. But, but then it happens. It's like, I always keep falling behind and keep falling behind. I just think, man, until we commit to the principle, it does not break the cycle and it does not rebuke the devourer. See, Israel was on that same cycle. They would build up, they would build up, and they think this harvest, we're going to bring it into the temple, and then the locusts would come. And they say, okay, the next harvest, then we're bringing that into the temple. And then the locusts, it turns out they laid little locust eggs. The little locust eggs popped up, and you know what they made? More locusts, and they ate it. So the third and fourth generation of locusts devouring, devouring, devouring. And then they're like, okay, well, this next one, you know what I'm going to do? 
going to build it up and we're going to give out this harvest and then people would raid their land and take everything. And God says, listen, tithing breaks the cycle. Tithing rebukes the devourer. Tithing is how you get out of the cycle of not being able to tithe. That's how it works. I want to share with you an example before we finish today. As I want to bring it home to us personally as we think about bringing it in together. And this was an example that was taught to me. So I'm going to teach it to you. I'll just hand it down. You can teach it to somebody else. Okay. I'm going to do this. You guys are going to be my two volunteers. I'm going to get Gianna again. Gianna's a good sport. Okay. Here's three people. We're all friends. Right? Um, okay. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go away for a while. And you all love my wife, right? So I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you all $10,000 a month. And you just have to give my wife $1,000 a month. That's it. That's the deal. Just to care for my bride, $10,000. You give her $1,000. Sounds like a good deal, right? Man, if only I had that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so that's the deal, right? You're going to care for my wife. Okay, so let's say I go away and I call in. It's been maybe a couple months, and I say, I call in and I say, hey, okay, uh, Katie, tell me about it. She says, well, here's the deal. Uh, person one has given me $1,000 every month. It's been great. So, okay, good. I give 10000 Let's give it one. She's doing what I said. So what about person two? He's like, yeah, person two. Uh, person two is actually giving me $2,000 a month. And I'm like, huh, I don't really understand that. I didn't really ask her to do that, but like, okay, right on. Uh, that's very kind, uh, but right on, okay. But, but you're getting it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, then I go to person three. It's okay, person three. She says, well, there's actually a problem with person three. Is <laughs> it person three told me they got a lot going on. They got a lot of things happened in their life, and they just can't afford to give it to me right now. And I said, oh, okay, huh, all right. So then I call back a little later, and I say, okay, hey, I'm coming back soon. How are you doing? Like, how are things going? You say, well, it's good. You know, person one, still, still rocking that thousand, you know? Uh, you give them 10, they give me one, that deal's working. I'm like, great, what about person two? Yeah, you know, they're still in that 2,000 deal. You might want to talk to them. They're just really giving. Oh, you know, that's cool, but right on, okay. Uh, and then I say, and you say, but the problem is person three, Still, still nothing. And I'm like, really? I gave, I gave her $10,000 a month. All she had to do was give you $1,000. Now, we love Gillian's works. This is why I pick people that I like for this. <laughs> right? $1,000. One, that's it. You say no. Okay, how do you think that makes me feel as someone who has left people in charge of caring for my bride? Not super great. What do you think I'm going to immediately stop doing? Sending person three literally anything, <laughs> right? What do you think is going to happen when I return? How do you think this conversation is going to go? Probably pretty good. How about this one? Pretty good. I'm going to have some questions. Like, what do you think? How do you think this conversation is going to go? <laughs> Not super great. So I don't think Jesus would take anything away. Really, I want you after this service to go read Matthew 25 and tell me what Scripture says that he gave from the one who was not generous and gave it to those and who was not faithful gave it to those who were faithful. Could it be, could it be, as scripture tells us, that the church is the bride of Christ and that we have been called and commanded to care for the bride as I ask these people to care for my bride. Could it, could it be 
that tithing might be more personal to Jesus than we thought because it's his wife. You say, yeah, no, no, but he wouldn't take, trust me, trust me. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, we took from the one that was not faithful and gave it to him that was faithful. Listen, Jesus wants to bless you, but why would he bless someone who doesn't care for his bride? The bride of Christ, his church. Can we thank our volunteers today? Good job, Gianna. Awesome. I love to read about revival around the world. Thank you for Gillian for being, you know, the heel in this example. Uh, I love to read about revival around the world. And what is both exciting and tragic to me is that third world countries, countries that per person make less money than we could ever even dream of making less of, uh, they give more than the Western church. It's amazing. The church around the globe constantly outgives one of the wealthiest nations in the world. We're wealthy, but we're, man, we're selfish. Constantly outgives. Constantly outgives. Because it's a test. The test is, what does my heart want? Does it want alignment with him or does it want lip service? Does it want to follow him or does it just want to say it follows him? But hear me, church. Please hear me. Remember, there's no condemnation. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to put it on you. I literally, literally am not here to attack you. I'm not here so we, like, can report later that money went up this week. Don't care. That's not what it's about. Church, I want us to pass this test. Hear me, church, I want us to pass the test that God has given us. I don't want us to be condemned, but I want us to be challenged. I want us to be challenged because this is truth. This is a blessing. Jesus wants to bless your life as you come under his principle, as you come from being outside of it, as you come under his principle and under his covering. He wants to bless you. Those who already tithe, you're celebrating because you know the blessing that comes. I love it. We have people from all kinds of walks of life. I've seen this in all different countries around the world. People from every walk of life. We say from the country club to the strip club, no matter where you came from, like no matter what your life looks like, listen, when you get this principle, God blesses your life. That's what it's about. And we celebrate. We're not teaching it because we want your money. In fact, the opposite. In COVID, we have given away more money than ever in the history of this church. We gave over $100,000 to missions this past year. This church right here. That doesn't, that doesn't include just in three semesters the $20,000 to love the block this year, actually, that we've given away. It doesn't include all that God has done generously. And that's not because of me. That's because people have brought it into the storehouse, and we as a church take the stewardship of that very serious. And I understand you might come from a church that abused that, but hear me in my word, we take it very seriously. Because just as it's a command for, for us as believers to take it seriously, trust me, there are commands in this word of God for leadership and the abuse of power that would just scare the arm hair right off you uh, that I take very seriously. But hear me say, I want us to be blessed. I want you to be celebrating the blessing of God in your life. That's why we teach what Jesus taught, because I want you to live the life blessing of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me today? I know we're going a little long, and I know we got Discover after lots of good things, but I want to pray for you today. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? If you're in this place, we give an opportunity every time for you to begin a relationship with Jesus. And I know for some of you, you're like, this is not that kind of message. It is always that kind of message. 
because every day, every moment, there is an opportunity to receive the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. Every moment, every day, there is an opportunity for you to experience the love of a God who is so for you, who is so deeply in love for you, with you, who so longs for you to be renewed and strengthened, who longs for you to have hope for the future and healing for the past, who longs to be in relationship with you, who longs to embrace you no matter how you come to him, who longs to celebrate with you, who longs to heal you, who longs to be with you for all eternity. There is never a bad moment to begin a relationship with Jesus. And today, if that's you, if you've never begun a relationship, you've never come under that covering and that shelter of the Most High God, the shelter that you don't have to earn or prove, the shelter that you receive through salvation that comes through His grace and mercy. If that's you today and you're saying, Jesus, I choose in this moment to begin a relationship with you. I want that hope for the future and healing for the past of my life. If that's you in this place, if that's you online, would you just, every eye closed, every head bow, would you just lift your hand and put it back down this morning? I'm gonna pray for you today. Jesus, we thank you that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come that we are no longer a slave to the sin of the flesh, but that we are a child of God walking in your righteousness because you made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to take our sin upon the cross, to die, to, to be uh, risen again on the third day and inviting us into the resurrection. There is new life. So we pray hope and healing for every person this morning. The second thing, with our eyes closed and head bowed before we worship together here at the, as we close, the second thing I want to pray for you very clearly and just boldly today is if you're saying, you know what, I want to come into principle with the Lord today. Every eye closed and every head is bowed today and you're saying, you know what, maybe it's this, maybe it's something else in your life, totally unrelated, but you're saying, you know what, I want to come into principle. I need the Lord to build my faith, to follow his principles, to really align my heart with him. I want to encourage you right now, if that's you and you're saying, Jesus, I just want to come into principle with you. Would you just lift your hands with me today and I want to pray with you. No one's looking at you. No one's judging you. This is you and Jesus as you lift it to him and you say, I'm bringing my heart completely to you. I want to come under principle with you. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you right now that all people who said, I want to come under principle, would you build my faith? We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're strengthening right now, that you're renewing, that there is no condemnation through Jesus Christ. There is only life and renewal and hope as we come under principle, that you cover us, that you strengthen us. And so this morning, God, I pray, would you build our faith, that we can walk according to your principles, that we can align our heart with you because Jesus you are good Jesus you are wonderful and a life lived with you is a blessed life and I pray as we worship God that you would renew that you would strengthen that you would build our faith that we could walk with you in principle in Jesus mighty name amen